0: The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Teatutu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Four weeks ago we um, were introduced to a couple of young men, the third generation of the promise, the first generation was Abraham, the second was Isaac, and this morning we were introduced, well that's. On the 1st of October, we were introduced to Jacob and Esau. Just for some context and some time frames, particularly for those of you who want to get these things sort of in a chronological order, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. He was 60 when Jacob and Esau were born, he was 75 when Abraham died, and he lived to be 180. So if you work that through, you'll find that uh, Jacob and Esau were 15 years old when Abraham died. We tend to see it's like this and this, but this is a multi-generational story. These are real people in real life with real struggle and real faith. Now, any of us who are parents, for a start, and probably those who are aunties and uncles, will know that sibling, in fact, those of us who have got brothers and sisters, will know that sibling rivalry is not unusual. But the sibling rivalry between Jacob and Esau began very, very early. As we read a few weeks ago, the babies jostled with each other while they were still in her womb. And she's going, what's happening to me? Again, she has no scans. She has no way of knowing that she's got twins. She's going, there's something unusual happening in me. And she goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, there are two nations in your womb. Not just two little baby boys. There are two nations. Two peoples within you, and who will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger and then we read that when they were born, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with a hand gripping on Esau's heel. And so he was named Jacob. You know, you hear the, the delivery of a, of a twin, and then sometime later, the second twin is delivered. And it's like these two are, are fighting to be first into the world, not only to be first in the world. Continuing to read, we realise, find that the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. As one commentator I said has obviously got a very set perspective. He said, a real man's man. He was a hunter. And Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Then as we came to the end of the chapter, we read that Esau exchanged his birthright, his entitlement as the eldest son. After all that struggle and striving to be first, he exchanged the rights of being first for some bread and a pot of lentil stew. And so this morning the focus of the Genesis narrative is once again on these two boys. And as we come to the end of chapter 26, and as we begin to read chapter 27, we're told that when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Berai, the Hittite, and also Basmuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. At this point, remember, Isaac is 100 years old, and he's been married to Rebekah for 60 years. Now, when we go back, we remember that Abraham's wife, Sarai, Sarah, was his half-sister. And then we remember that when Abraham wanted to find a wife for his son, Isaac, He sent his servant back to his family that he might find a wife for his son from within his own clan. And so the servant is sent back and so Rebekah, Abraham's great-niece, the daughter of his brother Laban, is brought to Isaac. And back then in Genesis 24, Abraham had said to his servant, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of, this is not just a, Hey, by the way, this is a good suggestion. He says, I want you to swear. I want you to make an oath by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but that you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. This was something extremely important. God had called Abraham to leave Ur, Ur, as we looked at the time, was a place of great idolatry. And God had called him out of Ur, out of the place of idolatry, to go to a land that I will show you, but it's a land of what will become even greater idolatry. And so these people who live in this land, the Canaanites and the Hittites, are a people of idolatry. And in time we will see that the evil in this land only grows to a place that God will bring judgment But we're told when Esau decides it's time to marry, he doesn't marry one Hittite woman, he marries two. And we're told that they are a cause for great grief for Isaac and Rebekah. And then we turn to chapter 27. We read that when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he was no longer able to see, He called for Esau, his oldest son, and said to him, My son, here am I, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. So then get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. One of the challenges when we read the Bible is we've just gone from one chapter to the next, and the chapter divisions are artificial anyway. They were added much, much later. And then just following even from that one verse to the next, to realise there's a gap of 37 years. 37 years between those two verses. 37 years between the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next. As the story continues to unfold, if you want to work it through, you can follow it through, and then you have to count back. And you work out that Jacob and Esau are 77 at this point in the story. He has been married. Esau has been married to these two women now for 37 years. And it seems that the writer only has two things to say about what happened in these 37 years. Firstly, that Esau's wives were a source of grief. See, the writer doesn't actually say that Jacob, that Isaac and Rebekah were grieved about who he married. He says that the daughter-in-laws were a source of grief, not the marriage. So for 37 years, it seems, these Hittite daughter-in-laws had caused grief to Isaac and Rebecca. And secondly, at some point in those 37 years, Isaac's eyesight had deteriorated to the point that as we begin this chapter, Isaac is unable to see. He's gone blind. And he's now anticipating that the end of his life is near. And you know something? It all just sounds like he's a little bit depressed. I'm blind. I've put up with his daughter-in-laws for 37 years. And my life is just about over. So he calls Esau in and says to Esau, Go hunting, kill some wild game, prepare me almost like a final meal, and then I can give you my blessing. Because giving a blessing is kind of the last thing you do before you die. But think about it. For those of you who've got a head for numbers, particularly, Isaac was 60 when the boys were born. Esau, he was 100 when Esau married. And so right here, he is 137 years old. And he is going to live... To 180. He's got 43 years to go. Never give up. Thinking that it's all over. 84. Plenty of life ahead Margaret. <laughs> it's not over till God calls us home. And then it's only just begun. 37 years. Two daughters-in-law, all the griefs that they've brought and then going blind, now believing that he's about to die. And as we read the story in the next few weeks, it kind of feels that things just get worse. Do you ever have days like that? Weeks like that? Years like that? Spare a thought for Isaac. Just remember, as a young boy, he was repeatedly picked on and mocked by his older brother, Ishmael. And then, of course, a few years later, his father takes him for a long walk up to Mount Moriah and builds an altar and then binds him up and ties him on the, lays him on the top of that ready to of life It's like, this is a contra-traumatic childhood. And they're going blind and all the family trouble. Twin sons who have fought since before they were born, and now his favourite twin has done the unthinkable and married two foreign women. And they've just been a continued source of grief. But you know, Isaac's not some... Second class character in the biblical narrative. He's not some, you know, there's there's a bunch of people we find in the biblical narrative who are sort of named once and it kind of passes on. He's not an insignificant character. It's not like he's unimportant in the story. Isaac is the son of the promise. Back in Genesis 17, God had said, Your wife to Abraham, your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac, I will establish my covenant with him as as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. There we go. When God later appears to Moses in the burning bush, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Time and again, as we read the biblical narrative, we're reminded that God identifies himself and is identified by others in relation to he is the father of Abraham, he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Time and again, as we read the biblical narrative, we're reminded that contrary to what many would have us believe, to be in the centre of God's will and purposes for our lives does not mean everything will go our way. It does not mean that everything will turn out well along the way. And it does not mean that we will get and have everything we want. To be at the centre of God's will is to keep our eyes on him, to keep our ears attentive to him, to keep our consciences clear before him, and to keep our hearts soft before him. And Micah, we're told, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Forget all the complicated verses. There are some very simple statements about what it means to live before God in relationship with him. In the great faith chapter, we're told that all these people, and that includes Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They got some stuff along the way. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were greatly blessed by God in their lifetime, but there were also some major struggles. And the real things that they were really waiting for and they were promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told, "'Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses,' Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. If he's our example, he went through no greater suffering. Well, there is no one who went through any greater suffering than him. But he... Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I kind of get the feeling Isaac in this story has kind of lost heart. And we have those moments, those weeks, and sometimes those years. And James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So ultimately, the struggle will make us stronger. And the vision, the promises of God, makes endurance possible. But right now, when you're in the midst of this stuff, for Isaac, knowing that he is the son of the promise, that he is chosen by God and going to be used by God and that he's going to have so many descendants right now, that's not encouraging him. And there are those moments when we know all of the promises in God and we're still feeling the struggle because that's life. I always come back to the verse that says, He remembers that we are dust. We tend to forget that. We tend to think that we should be able to ride high all the time. We should have great, great confidence and faith and we would be riding above everything else. But that's not the reality. Sometimes we just find ourselves like Isaac did. The end must be nigh, nice. surely. I've put up with this for long enough. I love the honesty of the Bible. Because as you read through, all these great heroes of the faith all had significant seasons of struggle. And everything will turn out in the end, okay. But right now, for the son of the promise, not so much. And there are people maybe here this morning certainly people associated with this church congregation for whom that's the truth right now, that life is something of a struggle. And we know that if we press on, push through in faith, in time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But sometimes life just seems tough. And it's in those times that Jesus says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We are called, we are sent, we are equipped but God also invites us to come to him. And in Philippians, he said, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to invite you to stand. Let's stand together if we're able. And I'm just going to ask if there's two or three folk who would like to pray for anyone here this morning who is struggling through that tough season or for someone who may not be here. And if you're one of those folk and you're here this morning and you are in a tough season, you just want someone to stand with you. You know, let's not give up meeting together as someone are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. This is what church is about. And so if you just want someone, just reach around and say, can you just put your hand on my shoulder? And pray for me. Just two or three people. We'll close their eyes for a moment. Just two or three people who would pray that God would bring comfort and peace and presence to those who struggle. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitude. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz